Okay, uh, good morning, Shavuot Tov. Um, today's daf is daf Kufiyu Dalad. We're going to go from the fifth last line of Kufiyu Gimel Base, 113b. Um, the Gemara seems the, the Gemara went on us was discussing clothes and preparing clothes for Shabbos, um, special clothes for Shabbos, and what you can prepare on the Shabbos. And then it gone on to a sidetrack of discussing uh, sidetracked into discussing Rus. And now it seems to be Rashi says it's bringing the following drasha because it's the same opinions. So now it says, but Tachas Kvodo, under his cloak, his covered, his glory, Yikod Yikod Kikod Eish, there was a burning fire. Now this is regarding the army of Sancheirev. When he lay siege to Yishalayim, he kind of said he's got such a great army that nothing, even Hashem, can stop him. That night, an angel of Hashem came by and killed all, killed 185,000 soldiers of Sisera. And now this pasuk is how they died. So it says, Rabbi, sorry, what's the place? Omer Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi says, It says, under their cover, under their clothes, and not their actual clothes. Rabbi Yochanan, time it, Omer Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, Actually, seen this before. Rabbi Yochanan's always called his clothes his honor. They bring him dignity and honor. And therefore, um, when it says v'tachas kvoda under his clothes, it means their body burned, but not their clothes. Rabbi Lezer, Oimei Rabbi Lezer says v'tachas kvoda v'tachas kvoda mamush. No, when it says tachas, it means in place, and kvoda is referring to their body. So in the place of their body, there was fire. Aye? Only their bodies burned and not their clothes. Aye? Exact same thing happened as Rabbi Yochanan says, but he just read the pots of different. Rabbi Shmuel Barachmeni, Oimei Rabbi Shmuel Barachmeni says tachas kvoda kesreifas b'nei Aaron. When it says under his clothes, it means like the burning of the sons of Aaron. We know in Oroban Avil, they, on, when they were inaugurating the Mishkan, they offered a korban that they were not supposed to, and they died by burning, but it was only Malahal and Shreifas and Shomer Bagush Khan, just as they, just then the Shomer's burnt and not their body, their bodies were intact. Afghan, so to hear by the San Peref's army, Shreifas and Shomer Bagush Khan. How do we know that there's an obligation to change your clothes from the Torah? Aye? There's a special obligation that for special case, occasions and mitzvahs, learning Torah, damni, etc., you should change your clothes and wear better clothes. Shinema, where do we learn this from? He would remove his clothes and wear other clothes. This is referring to the Trumas Hatashin, that was the service in the base Midrash when they come and take ash off the Mizbah. Take some a uh, spoonful of ash off the mitzvah, etc. Now that was a lowly avoider. So the coin who was doing that avoider would put on um, a cheaper pair of big day kohuna, and then when he came back later, he would change his clothes to do the more dignified, more prestigious, greater mitzvahs. The actual part of the avoider, like sprinkling the blood, etc. He would wear better quality big day kohuna. So that's where we see that for more important events, more important kosher mitzvahs, you should wear better clothes. The clothes that you cook food for your master, you should not pour his cup for him. I, when you're working in the kitchen, you wear one set of clothes, and when you come out in public and you um, pouring for the, when you're actually pouring the clothes, you must make sure to be wearing much better clothes. But again, that would be so too with, with serving Hashem. I remember uh, my grandfather used to always, a few times I remember him saying that uh, for Surah's Mitzvah, Brismillah, Chuppas, 
Purim, etc. You must wear big day Shabbos. Lots of people dressed like they would normally dress and don't see any reason to dress up, but he held very um, strongly that you must wear big day Shabbos, and that would be this principle. When you're doing special mitzvahs and special occasions, you must wear special clothes. Ideally, we should probably be wearing our big day Shabbos for davening, but obviously that's not so practical, but therefore we still try to do something a bit smarter, wear smarter shoes or put on a jacket or something like that, so that we're smarter for davening, but obviously within reason and practicality. Um, it's degrading for a Tamil Chochem to go out with patched shoes with shook in public. But we know Rabbi Acha Bachanina did go out in patched shoes. So Amar Rabbi Acha B'Raid Ram Nachman Batlai Al Gavei Tlai No, that's referring to patches on top of patches. Any Tamut Chochem who has a grease stain on his garment is Chayav Misa. Rashi explains because um, he needs to dress Choshev Vahogun, the Kavot Torah. So he needs to dress with the dignity and prestige that's fitting for the honor of the Torah that he represents. And if he doesn't, it's Chayav Misa because of Chil Hashem. So Nehemiah, as the Pesach says, Kol Misanai Avo Moves. Those who hate me love death. Al Tikri Misanai Elom Masniai. Don't read as those who hate me. Read those who cause others to hate me. Remember, Talmud, if people, if a Talmud Chacham dresses with stained and ugly clothes and looks messy, he becomes repulsive to people. And people will say, a word to those who learn Torah, that are degrading, and it comes out that they won't, that are repulsive, and they won't like the Torah. Ravina Omar my Ravina says it didn't say um, grease stain, it should say blood stain. They're not arguing here's on a glimmer and here's on a bulavusha. A grease stain is only a problem when it's on the outer garment. So grease stain on a vest doesn't really matter, but a blood stain would matter, it would be repulsive wherever it is, even if it's on undergarments. What does it mean when it's written? My servant Yishayu went naked and barefoot. Now it's there, it says three years, and it can't be that he actually went naked. It says, naked with worn out clothes, and barefoot with um, patched, worn out shoes. Now I think that fits in very well what we're saying here that. It's degrading and disgraceful, and uh, a Tamud Chachamos should be ashamed to go out in these clothes. Now, as we mentioned, this is all specifically regarding a Tamud Chacham, but I know that the Nefesh Achaim used to say this in regards to Yeshiva Bachim. He says, they the ones, it doesn't matter whether they've only learned a few months and they're not really a Tamud Chacham or anything, they're the ones who represent Torah. That was a large, and therefore they have to dress with dignity and smart, and these laws would apply to them as well, especially the aspect of, especially the aspect of Chilul uh, Hashem, degrading Hashem's name. And that was a large part of what he tried to do was bring dignity to Torah. Up until then, uh, yeshivas were more botamidrashos, and they were a bit haphazard. Students had to kind of fend for themselves. He wanted to bring honor to them, so he uh, made yeshivas where they food and lodging, etc. was taken care of and they could sit and learn in dignity. Um, 
but that would be this and the Tiferes Israel actually comes along further and I think this is for all of us that he says that any religious Jew represents Torah and Hashem and he has to dress and act appropriately as someone who represents Torah as people who go to Shul, go to Tafyom learn Torah, they represent Hashem and they also have to um, be careful with how they dress and come across and their appearance. There's an interesting halach in uh, Yoradad says that you're not allowed to look in a mirror. It's uh, the issue of men wearing women's clothes for men to look in mirrors. And the Tarke Moshe, the Ramo over there, says, yeah, but that obviously, that does not apply to just glancing in and checking that you need. And that would be, especially for a Talmud Chochom, that would be an exception to the rule. So it actually comes out, there's a leniency for a Talmud Chochom over a regular person. Or a Talmud Chochom can look in the mirror to make sure he's neat and stuff, whereas for a regular person, that might be an Isur of Lois Silbash Geve Begadish or something like that. A man's not allowed to wear woman's clothes. Okay, carry on. It says, Tanan Hasam, we don't over there. Now, this Mishnah is regarding putting clothes in the mikveh. If the mikveh becomes tomah, you have to put clothes and items in the mikveh to purify them. Now, we know if they have a chatzitza, an interposition, then you're not allowed to... Um, then the mikveh doesn't help. You have to clean it off before you put it in the mikveh. One of the criteria of that is that the person... What makes it a chatzitza? One of the Torah's criteria is if he's makbid, if he's particular that it's there, he wouldn't want it. So that's how this ties into our sugyan, as we're going to see further down is that a Tamil Chochum's Makbid on a grease spot. So a grease spot would be a Chatzitza on his clothes. Okay, but let's see in the Bryces. It's and we learned over there. Rav of Alamardas, Chotzeitz, a grease stain on a saddle is a Chatzitza. People don't want it there. Rabbi Shimon Gamil, Amar Adkisra Talki. Rabbi Shimon Gamil says only if it's the size of an Isari Talki. Va'al Habagodim, it's at Echod. And on clothes from one side, Eino Chotzeitz. Is not considered a chatzitza. Mishnah it's starting chotzitz, but if it's such a big stain that it drips and so much grease that it drips through that it's through both sides of the garment, then it would be a chatzitza. Rabbi Yehuda, I'm a mishum Rabbi Shmuel. Af mitzar echod chotzitz. Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rabbi Shmuel, no, even if it's just on one side, it's considered a chatzitza. Boy, me nei Rabbi Shimon ben Lokish, me Rabbi Chanina. Rabbi Shimon ben Lokish asked Rabbi Chanina, Mardas mitzar echod amishnah it's starting. Which side? If a saddle only has this grease spot on one side. Would that be a chatzitz or is it only a chatzitz if it's from two sides, like similar to clothes? So Omale Zuloi Shomati Kiyotze Boshomati says, Well, I didn't hear exactly regarding this, but I heard a similar point which we can use to answer it. It says, Tatnan, as we learned in the Mishnah, Rabbi Yossi Oimer, Rabbi Yossi said, Shal Benoyin Mitzan Echod, let's just learn in the moon, that it's a builder's, if there's a mark on one side, it would be a chatzitza. The shel bor and of the ignoramus and amor. It's mishnayt stadim on two sides. The loitehi mardas chashuv mi bigdos shel amoret, and a saddle would never be more chashuv, more distinguished than a garment of amoret. If an amoret is only particular about a stain that goes through two sides, or definitely on a saddle cloth, you would only be particular if it went on two sides. Unlike the benign, benign which would be particular even if on their clothes, if it was one side. I'm not my Beno'in. Who are these Beno'in? So, Omri B'yochan and Eilu Tamirei Chachamim. This refers to Tamirei Chachamim. She'en she'oiskim be'vinyona she'l'oidam. Kol yameim. We were busy with the building of the world all their days. Why Shatin, why Tamirei Chachamim, builders of the world? Because we know Torah keeps the world going. So they the constant repairment, etc., keeping the world existing. If the Torah stops, if there's no Torah, then the world would end. So that's... Uh, these benoim who are particular with stains even on one side of their garment. Any stain on their clothes would be a chatzitza 
Obviously, again, a sailcloth people aren't as particular. It would be more like the clothes of an Amoret than only if it goes through both sides. Okay, but Amar once we've mentioned that criteria regarding Tamil Chacham, we're going to mention a few other points. You can return a lost object to just by him saying, I recognize it is mine. Generally, to turn, return a lost object, they have to prove it's theirs by giving you simanim um, identifying features so that you know you're returning it to the right person. But a Talmud Chacham, as long as he says it's mine. says, This is a Talmud Chacham who's particular with his clothes that he'd even turn them around. I, if he puts on his shirt or his robe and he realizes he's put it on inside out and some of the seams are like visible and he'd go to the effort to change it, that's the Talmud Chacham he's speaking about. Who's the sort of Talmud Chacham who we appoint as a... Parnes as a leader over the community. If you can ask him a question in any way in the whole of Shas and even in Meseches Kale, uh, and he can answer it. If he can't, if he doesn't even know Meseches Kale is a there's a set of Meseches Katanos or small collections of prices. One of them is Meseches Kale. Not many people learn them or get to learn them. So, but this is the Talmud Chacham that you would appoint over your city. He has to know even those. Who's the sort of Tamil Chacham who the people of the city are obligated to um, support? Someone who leaves his own needs and delves into the focuses on the needs of heaven. This is specifically for his bread eyes for his necessities that you wouldn't have to support him and supply his luxuries who is considered a Tamil Chacham you can ask Allah in any place and he can answer it why do you know who this Tamil Chacham is to appoint him as a if he only knows one Masechta the Masechta that he's learning okay then you can only appoint him of his place if he can answer in the whole of Shas well, then you can appoint him as a Rosh Shiva. Shivas were leaders of the whole Jewish community um, we find that's especially in terms of the Babel, the I mean, there was the Reish Galusa, but the Torah leaders were the Rosh Yeshiva. They were generally far, Rav, Shmuel, the most famous ones were the ones who headed up the Yeshivas that we know of. of um, uh, the most famous Amorim that we know of the ones who were the head of Yeshivas. Rava, Abaye, um, Rav, Shmuel, etc. Rabbi Shimon ben Lokish, Omer Rabbi Shimon ben Lokish says, now remember we start off this price, he says, the Benoim are particular with the stain, even if it's just on one side. So now the question, um, so now the quest, the point is, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, so, so Rabbi Yochanan says, the Benoim are the builders. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, I'm Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, says, Elu Kalim Haulayim. No, the Benoim refers to the Kalim of the bathhouse attendants, Haboy Medina Sayom, which were bought from overseas. The bathhouse attendants used to have very fancy uh, robes or towels that they'd wrap their dignified uh, customers in. So, for example, you go to the spa and they give you a fancy uh, gown. This is what we're referring to. Um, this implies that they were... Now, obviously, they were very particular that there wouldn't be any stains on it. So, therefore, even a stain on one side would be a chatzitza when you have to put in the mikvah. But 
this implies that they were white. And that's why even a stain makes a difference. It's a Vahomal Rebiana and a Vonav Rebiana. said to his sons, Bini Altik Vereni. Don't bury me in white clothes or black clothes. Because maybe I won't merit Ganadim and I'll be like a chassan, a groom amongst mourners. All the people in Gehenna are black faced and lowly and he's wearing these beautiful white clothes. Don't dress me in black clothes because I might merit Ganadim and then I'll be like a mourner amongst all the grooms. Says, Rather dress me in these garments of the Ulairin that they bring from overseas. And we see that they are red. Says, No, the coats that they would give out were red, but the clothes were white. Okay, yeah, interesting discussion here. Not going to go into it now. Um, what do you mean the clothes that you're buried in is what you appear in Gan Eden or Gehenna? That's, uh, there's no clothes there. And maybe so. Okay, so that's a big discussion. What's it referring to? Ton Rabbeinu, then, I'm sorry, Rabbi Yishmol, Aymen Makfilin V'chulu. Rabbi Yishmol said that you can fold clothes on your kippur for, or make the bed on your kippur for Shabbos, and you can off burn the sacrifices from Shabbos on Yom Kippur. And we see Yom Kippur is lighter. And Rabbi Akiva said, you're not allowed. He said, Ton Rabbon and Oila Shabbos B'Shabbatah. The source for this is, it says, you can offer the oil of Shabbos on a Shabbos, on another Shabbos. It says, That has to teach us that you can offer the fats of Shabbos. From the Korban that was offered on Shabbos, you can burn the fats that night on Yom Kippur. Or maybe you would think you could also do the ones on Yom Kippur for Shabbos. Talmud Lomar B'Shabbatah. For Shabbos. Divrei Rabbi Yishmael, this is the opinion of Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Akiva, I mean, Rabbi Akiva says, Oila Shabbos B'Shabbato. Rabbi Akiva says, no. When it says you can offer the oil of Shabbos on a Shabbos, what's the other Shabbos you're allowed to offer? Limur al-Chel V'Shabbos Shekrevim Yom Tov, that you can burn the fats of the Shabbos Korban on Yom Tov. Yochel Af B'Yom HaKippur, you might have thought you can also burn the fats of the Shabbos Korban on Yom Kippur. Talmud Loimar, B'Shabbatov, no, only on its Shabbos, not on Yom Kippur. Okay, so it comes out that Rabbi Akiva learns Shabbos and Yom Kippur are basically equal. Rabbi Yishmol is learning that. Shabbos is a level up from Yom Kippur, and therefore you can do things on Shabbos for Yom on Yom Kippur for Shabbos, or you can burn the Shabbos korbans on Yom Kippur. Now, um, yeah, I should just mention, and this would be relevant to most to the rest of the Perek, um, this that Shabbos can be just before, or just this that Yom Kippur can be on Friday or Sunday, I just before, just after Shabbos is only when they set the calendar based on the Adim's witnesses testifying when they saw the new moon, when it was variable. Now that we have a set calendar, it never works out like that. And even if you learn other Masechtas, it seems even when they did it by Adim, they'd make, try and do as much as they could to make sure that Shabbos and Yom Kippur don't fall out right next to each other. Okay, but we're discussing when they can. Now he says, there's a Machloikas in Beitza. Are you allowed to offer Nadorim and Nadovos on Yom Tov? Are you allowed to offer voluntary offerings on Yom Tov? Question is, you could do them on Erev Yom Tov, or the few days before Yom Tov, a few days after Yom Tov, so maybe you're not allowed to actually offer them on Yom Tov. Now, 
comes out, you find to say craving the Yomtov, you can offer Nadorim and Nadovas on Yomtov. I you can offer voluntary offerings on Yomtov, and therefore obviously you can burn the fats of Shabbos Korban, which had to be done on that day, now on Motzei Shabbos on Yomtov. The Chiyitru cross, and then when the Apostle's coming along to say that you can do something from Shabbos, remember Shabbos B'Shabbato, you can do something from Shabbos on another special day, that's Le Yom Kippur, to permit it on Yom Kippur. The Divrei Rebbe Akiva, the Dorim and the Adovas, ain't craving me Yom Tov. The Dorim and the Adovas are not offered on Yom Tov. And if we need the Pasuk to come along and say, but the Shabbos Korban, you can burn on Yom Tov. And that's why, so that's the, where we end up at the Machloikas. Why does Rabbi Akiva need a special Pasuk to permit you to burn it on the offering of Shabbos on Yom Tov? Because it's not so obviously to him, whereas Rabbi Shmuel, it is obvious, and therefore the Pasuk is coming to permit burning the Shabbos offering on Yom Tov. Then Omar Rabbi Zaira, Rabbi Zaira says, When I was in Babel, I used to say the following brisa. Now what he's going to say is basically the following brisa fitted in with both Rabbi, both Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shmuel. The following brisa is based on they used to blow shofars to announce that you must stop work, like on Erev Shabbos, and also when Shabbos comes in. Now, the general rule is you would only blow from a lenient day going into a strict day, Friday going into Shabbos, so you stop Melocha, Yom Tov going into Shabbos, so that you stop cooking, because remember, you can cook on Yom Tov, but you can't cook on Shabbos. So, the, let's see this price. Yom Kippurim Erev Shabbos, If Yom Kippur fell out on Erev Shabbos, they would not blow. If Yom Kippur fell out on Motzei Shabbos, they wouldn't have dollar, because you... Because they're equal, that's the assumption. Um, now remember, this, it would be a special avdala, hamavdil ben kodesh le kodesh. But he's saying you don't do that when your people falls out on Motzei Shabbos. Divrei kolhi. So I thought, Rabbi Zayi says, I thought that was everyone's opinion. When I made Aliyah and went to Eretz Yisrael, Eshke Chayle Yehud, the braider of Shimon ben Pazi, I found Yehud, the son of Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi, the Yosef Ka'omar, he was sitting and saying, Rabbi Akiva, he had must be Rabbi Akiva, the Rabbi Shmuel, Kiva into Omar Chalva, Shabbos Kravim, Yom Kippurim, since he holds the fats of Shabbos can be burnt on Yom Kippur, Litka Ki Hechid Lahave Yodei, the Chayve Shabbos Kravim, Yom Kippurim, we should blow the shofar, when it's Yom Kippur going into Shabbos, so that people know that Yom Kippur is a light day going into severe day. What's Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi, what's Rabbi Huda, the son of Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi, saying? That Rabbi Kiva holds Shabbos and Yom Kippur are equal. And that's why you don't blow from one going into the other. It also makes sense why you don't make Havdolah, because you're not going down in Kedusha. That's whenever you say Havdolah, is when you're going down in Kedusha. Um, whereas Rabbi Shmuel holds that Yom Kippur is light, more lenient than Shabbos. As we know, you can offer the sacrifices on Yom Kippur. Now, it gets a bit tricky here, but basically, we should say every year that Yom Kippur falls out on Erev Shabbos, Yom Kippur is on Friday going into Shabbos, and, and then Shabbos, you should blow the shofar so people know that Yom Kippur is more lenient than Shabbos. How does that help? So that helps for a year 
when Yom Kippur is on Sunday, Saturday night, Sunday, after Shabbos, because then every the Kohanim will know that you're not allowed, that you're allowed to burn the Shabbos Korbanos on Yom Kippur. If you never ever blew on Yom Kippur going into Shabbos, the Kohanim would forget that Yom Kippur is actually more lenient than Shabbos. And I said to him, not necessarily Kohanim's Rizim Haim. Kohanim was Rizim, we can rely that they know the halacha. Therefore, you would not blow the shofar just for the Kohanim. You would not blow the shofar on Yom Kippur going into Shabbos so that the Kohanim know that Yom Kippur is more lenient. And for people, it doesn't have a, a ramification. Oh, says not so, so firstly, says Omalei, Markeshisha Braid Ravchis, the Ravashi Miomrin, and Kohanim's Rizim Haim. Who says, do we really say that the Kohanim was Rizim for Hotnan, Shalosh Lahatbil, Lahabtil, Esa Ami Melocha? The first three blasts is to stop the people doing Melocha. This is speaking about the blast that they would blow in the base of Migdash, Vishalosh Lahabdil, Ben Kodesh Lachol. And a second three to separate between the weekday and Shabbos, or the weekday and Yomta. But what do we see that they blew the Shafer in the base of Migdash? Must be to remind the Kohanim. We see Kohanim do forget the times, whether what's Kodesh, what's Chol, etc. Says no. Just as Abai elsewhere says, it must be referring to blowing uh, for the rest of the people in Yerushalayim. So to hear, it's for the rest of the people in Yerushalayim. Rashi tells us what's it referring to for the other people in Yerushalayim. When did Abai say that? So there was this. Menorah that uh, Helenia Malka set up by the entrance of the Beis Amigdash, that at sunrise, that when the time for Zman Kriya Shema Bro, it would start to glisten and look like it was a light. So everyone knew, oh, that's when you could say Shema. But elsewhere we say that if you say Shema when the Kohanim serving the Beis Amigdash say Shema, you don't fulfill the obligation, it's at the wrong time. So, by, so what's the point of this menorah in the Beis Amigdash? doesn't help. So he says, no, that menorah, that... Uh, that signal that glowed when it was time to say Shema was for the rest of the people, but not for the Kanim serving in the base of Mikdash. And so to hear this blowing of the shofar in the base of Mikdash was for Yerushalayim, but not for the Kohanim. Now the Gemara says, but there's another reason to blow on Shabbos. We should blow so that everyone knows that you're allowed to peel vegetables from Minchen onwards. On, generally, we know on Shabbos, and I guess Yom Kippur as well, you're not allowed to do something for Motzei Shabbos or Motzei Yom Kippur. It's Isu Drabonim, as we learned in yesterday's stuff. However, on Yom Kippur, they allow you to peel vegetables on um, Yom Kippur afternoon, Rashi explains, because preparing so that it's ready for Motzei Yom Kippur, the reason is because it... Um, causes you more suffering. And on Yom Kippur, it's hard to suffer. So that's why they wave and said, you're allowed to peel vegetables. But we see that Yom Kippur is more lenient. You're allowed to prepare vegetables on Yom Kippur afternoon for Motzei Yom Kippur. And you're not allowed on Shabbat. So we should blow the Shabbat so people know that. So Omar, Rabbi Yochanan says, no, we don't push aside the Isu Rabbonon to go lenient, to allow, sorry, to allow something. What does that mean? Remember, blowing the shofar on Shabbos or Yom Tov and Yom Kippur would be a Yisudra Bonan. You're not allowed to. However, they waived it so that you know that you're not allowed to do Malacha. Like Yom, Kippur, um, Yom Tov going into Shabbos, they blew the shofar so that you know you're not allowed to. You have just not allowed to cook anymore, etc. But they never did that to permit you to do something. So they're not going to blow the shofar on Yom Kippur going into Shabbos so that you know Yom Kippur is more lenient that you can prepare for after Shabbos. Um... Yeah. Rav Shisha Braid Ravidi Yomash Fus Krovi Tirush Fus Rechoi Kaloi Tir. 
But Edie says, no, they would blow it to, they would allow, they would waive the Isudra Bonan for an immediate heter, but not for a long-term heter. What does that mean? So, if, when, when you, when it's Yom Kippur going into Shabbos, you're not allowed to cut vegetables anyway. It's not going to help you to peel the, cut the vegetables because you're not going to cook them when it's Motzei Yom Kippur. Remember, you can't cook on Yom Kippur. That would be Isidore, right? So that's definitely problematic. But can you peel them? So it doesn't help you to peel them. So when we blow the shofar this year, when it's Yom Kippur going into Shabbos, it's really for another year when it's just Yom Kippur to tell you that you can peel the vegetables that afternoon so that people in their mind know that Yom Kippur is a bit more lenient. So that's what it's. Shvus Kroival, they're not going to allow you to do something now that's only going to help you for Yom Kippur next year or something like that. And that's why they didn't permit it. Also, for Shvus Kroival, you're telling me that for an immediate Shvus, they would waive the Shvus to permit you to do something that's immediate. You would blow the shofar, as we said, so that people know they have to stop cooking, etc. All those things they were allowed to do on Shabbos. But you don't say Abdullah. You never say Abdullah going from a lower sanctity to a high sanctity. Motzei Shabbos, if Yom Tov fell out on Saturday night. Mavdilin, you say Abdullah, as we said, the special one, Mavdilin, Kodesh, Lo Kodesh, Veloi Toikin, but you don't blow the shofar. It says, We should blow the shofar so people know that on Motzei Yom Tov, that on Yom Tov now they can do shchita for their sap and shecht an animal for supper. This will be the same thing to say to start cooking for Yom Tov. So why don't we blow the shofar when a Shabbos is going into Yom Tov? It must be like Rabbi Yosef said that we never sound these shofars, we never wave the Isud Rabbonon of blowing a shofar on Shabbos, Yom Tov, or Yom Kippur to permit something, only to highlight that something is Osir. Okay, Omar, carrying on with the discussion, Omar Rebbe Zaira, Omar Avhuna, Omri Lo, Omar Rebbe Abba, Omar Avhuna. Rebbe Zaira said, in the name of Ravhuna, Omri Lo, Omar Rebbe Abba, Omar Avhuna, and some say it was Rebbe Abba in the name of Ravhuna, Yom Kippurim Shechol Yosbeh Shabbos, Osir Benekivas Yerek. If Yom Kippur fell out on Erev Shabbos, Yom Kippur fell out on Shabbos, you're not allowed to do Nekivas Yerek. Even though generally on Yom Kippur afternoon, you're allowed to start peeling your vegetables for Motzei Yom Kippur. If it's Yom Kippur Shabbos, you're not allowed to. Um, again, we said on Yom Kippur, the reason you're allowed to, they waived it, is because of the distress it adds to you seeing and preparing food when you can't even eat it. Omar, Rabbi, Rav Mona, Rav Mona says, Tana, we learned this in a price, Yom Kippurim, Shechol Yosbeh Shabbos, Sheosur Ben Nekivas Yerek. How do we know that if Yom Kippur fell out on Shabbos, you're not allowed to do Nekivas Yerek, you're not allowed to start peeling and preparing the vegetables? Talmud Loimar, Shabboson, the Torah says, Shabboson, you must, Shavuz, you must rest on Shabbos. Now, Lamar, what is it telling us you must rest on Shabbos? Elam and the Malacha, maybe it means you're not allowed to do the 39 Malachas, that's what it means, rest. Vahoksi, if Loitase, Kamalacha. But we already know from another pasuk, you're not allowed to do malachah, you're not allowed to do the 39 malachahs. El alav anekivas yerek. This must be coming to teach regarding nekivas yerek. Shmamina. And that's conclusive. So what do we see? That it seems from here that it's actually, Tosfos say that it's an asmachta. It's not a real drasha, this that you're not allowed to prepare on Shabbos for after Shabbos. And therefore, because also then why on Yom Kippur would it be permitted? 
But either way, it's a very interesting thing that the Ritva goes into here. I don't want to go into the, it in this discussion in detail, but it's something worth looking into when we get a chance. Is uh, It brings a drosha that you must rest on Shabbos. And it seems to be a drosha doraisa, a proper drosha. So he explains that really a lot of the shvusim, the Torah says you must rest on Shabbos. And it's telling us because strictly speaking, and we actually mentioned this in the past, if you just follow the Isurei Doraisa of Shabbos, the 39 Malachas, you can have a regular Sunday. You can go shopping, you can uh, fold your laundry, you can uh, um, your laundry, move your furniture around. You know, there's so many things you can do. And you'll forget it's Shabbos. You'd lose a Shabbos. You just don't do the 39 Malachas. So therefore, comes along the Torah and says, Shabbos son, you must make it Shabbos. You must rest on it. And the, and the Torah is leaving it for the rabbis to tell us what rest we must do, how we celebrate it, what we must do, what we're not allowed to do to make sure that we're resting on Shabbos. And that would be this. So one of the things I say, you're not allowed to prepare for after Shabbos. Um, now that makes it very interesting. Does that make it Doraisa or Durabonan? And the relationship between how they relate to each other, this concept of Doraisa, which is leaving it open for the rabbis to do. Okay, something interesting to go into another time. If Yom Kippur fell out on Shabbos, you are allowed to do Nekivas Yerek. Maybe they challenge this. Basically, from the above teaching, How do you know that Yom Kippur fell out on Shabbos? You're not allowed to do the Kivis Yerek. Shavuz. It says, by Shabbos, you must rest. Now, what the ramification of that? Maybe it's telling us you're not allowed to do the 39 Melochas. We already know that from another passage. Must be telling us you must rest. You're not allowed to prepare on Shabbos for after Shabbos. So how can Rabbi Yochanan come along and say it's mutas? He says, Loila Olam Lamaloch, Velasase. No, it's for Malochas, it's for the 39 Malochas, but not only if you do one of the 39 Malochas, not only do you do a negative commandment, you're also doing an Isur. You're also breaking a positive commandment of Shvutz. You must not do the negative commandments. Tanik Vaisit Rabbi Yochanan is a brisa like Rabbi Yochanan, Yom Kippurim Shechol Yos Shabbos, if Yom Kippur fell out on Shabbos, Mutar Benekivas Yerek, it's permitted to peel the vegetables. You can crack open nuts, and you can take out the seeds of the pomegranate. From the afternoon onwards, because of the distress and anxiety, the inward causes um, that you're not that you're dealing with food when you can't eat it. The household of Rabbi Huda would actually cut cabbages, um, they would start scrapping the gods, since Rabbi saw that his family was, was starting to do it too early. Um, a letter has come from Rabbi Yochanan and it says you're not actually not allowed to do this on Shabbos Yom Kippur. Or maybe even on Yom Kippur. Um, no, on Shabbos Yom Kippur. Now, just two, one step back. Um, oh, this Agmas Nefesh. So, right now we've been explaining, what does it mean? Why are you allowed to peel vegetables? Why are you start, start, allowed to start preparing food on Yom Kippur for Motzei Yom Kippur? Because it actually increases your suffering. 
the pay um, that you're working with food and you can't eat it. So therefore, you're allowed to do it on Yom Kippur. I guess Inu is a key point of Yom Kippur. Um, in its own right, I think that's an interesting discussion. Do you have to do things that increase your Inu? Is it just the five things that are also? And is it a mitzvah to do things that would increase it? Um, one question one I've heard in regards to this, for example, could be taking something like rehydrate that makes you not feel so thirsty, not get as dehydrated on Yom Kippur. You can have better, but on the other hand, you won't be feeling the suffering of the fast. Okay, that's one point. Other is showing him, no, what's Agmat Nefesh here? Is if you're going through, you've got two hours left of Yom Kippur, and you know that off when Yom Kippur finally ends, you're going to have to go start preparing and making supper then, you're going to be totally distracted, totally anxious, and it's too difficult to get through Yom Kippur then. So they went lenient so that you could cope better to, uh, um, what's, uh, to relieve this anxiety and Agmat Nefesh, they allowed you to build on Yom Kippur. Okay, that's one point. Then the second point, the last thing we mentioned is, Rabbi told his family, you know, Rabbi Yochanan told us that we're not allowed to peel these vegetables. Um, on Shabbos Yom Kippur, we're not allowed to peel these vegetables for Motzei Yom Kippur. Now, Rashi says, why did he tell him in the name of Rabbi Yochanan? Because then they'd listen, I have Rabbi Yochanan, the great God of said, okay, then we're not going to. But the problem is, Rabbi Yochanan says it's mutar. That's what we read at the bottom of the previous page. Tanya Kavai said, Rabbi Yochanan, well, Rabbi Yochanan says, it's mutar to peel these vet to do this. So that's another whole question in its own right. Are you, you, you need people to stop doing something because they're doing something wrong. Are you allowed to say it in the name of a certain godal or a certain person you know that they would listen to just because you want them to, granted you're telling them to do what's right, but that's not what that godal said. So are you allowed to lie in his name so that they start doing what's correct? Okay, with that question, we'll leave it here. Hadron Allah, Ba'eluk Shorim, Hadron Allah, Ba'eluk Shorim, Hadron Allah, Ba'eluk Shorim.